0: Six schools in six years, been kicked out of every place. Everything I ever do is wrong, never find where I belong. Everybody on my case. The same old story, the same old song. Don't act up, don't act down, be strong. I keep my head down, I keep my chin up But it ends up all the same With back your back's mercy You're always to blame I never try to do anything I never mean to hurt anybody. I swear, I swear that I'm a good kid A good kid, a good son But no one ever will tell. guess I'm good for nothing at all.
1: Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, September 10th, 2017. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier and Jan Simpson. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi, also with us is Jan Simpson. Jan is the Director of the Arts and Culture and Journalism Program at Cooney's Graduate School of Journalism and also writes for TDF Stages, American Theatre, and has her own blog at Broadway and Me. Good morning, Jan. Morning. Also with us is Michael Potantier. Michael is a Theatre Reviewer and Essayist and a Chief New York Theatre Critic at Talk on Broadway. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at Filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, so, you also have a special treat in your hands, don't you? Yes, I have the, well, what is sadly
2: the final print edition of Everything Sondheim, which is an absolutely fabulous magazine, um, a successor to the Sondheim Review, um, and this one is has Rick Pender as the executive editor and publisher, and they initially were planning to be just a website, but then they... Got the idea that people really wanted um, a, a you know a print magazine to continue. S- some of us are still <laughs> really enamored of that form of communication, and uh, you know we grew up with it. And this, there is something about holding something in your hand, especially when it has um, really wonderful color photos, like this magazine has featured, and really uh, full length extended articles not just kind of the kind of soundbite more kind of things that one tends to read on the internet um so they it sounded like they were going to make a go of it for a while but just uh, i guess lack of manpower and and the the funds crunch um they have decided to close down but they're doing it very very respectfully and neatly and uh, not uh, they're refunding anyone who's who paid more who paid for more issues than they are going to get, and they're going to attempt to continue the website portion of the, of, of the endeavor. But, um, the last issue, um, for, for what it's worth is really wonderful. It's a lot of articles on into the woods because this is the 30th anniversary of that show's opening on Broadway. And then in addition to that, there's a, um, I have an interview with Sarah Rice, the original Joanna, and there is a, a very, uh, lengthy, uh, interview well not interview really it's kind of a a a recount of the time that this fellow john bell spent with elaine stritch in her in her final years and this is only one in a series that he has published uh and it says here uh, um it's actually from a book called elaine stritch the end of pretend um uh, or actually, I'm not sure if he's doing it as a book, but he, he's posting it uh, chapter by chapter in Everything Sondheim. And the final uh, chapter will come out in, uh, in uh, soon. So this one is really, really great.
1: All right. Uh, so I'm sorry to hear that that's, uh, that's the end of the print publication. But hopefully the website will flourish and we'll be able to uh, keep abreast of Everything Sondheim. With us today, we have a very special guest. Matt Cox is joining us via telephone. Matt is a playwright, an actor, a sound designer. Impro- he does improvisation and he's based in New York. And uh, he's written a number of different plays that we should uh, mention here Kapowi Gogo, Cool Chiefs Jr., The Madness of Captain Dread, uh, and also what is playing right now off Broadway, which is Puffs. Uh, or seven increasingly eventful years at a certain school of magic and magic. So, Matt, thank you for joining us on a Sunday morning. We really appreciate it.
3: I'm happy to be here, and thanks for saying the incredibly long subtitle. Of the play. well, it gives
1: <laughs> us context because um, it does. Puffs, Puffs might not we might not make the leap uh, without the subtitles. <laughs> so tell us tell us more about Puffs so that people that didn't get the subtitle understand more about your show.
3: Great. Uh, See, so yeah, Puff is currently playing at New World Stages, and it's a uh, it's essentially a play that looks at the seven years of a, of a certain very famous uh, book and movie series about a young boy wizard. Uh, but it's not about him; it's about some of the other students at the school uh, who we call Puff, who are of, of a certain house uh, at the school, and it's a it's about their adventures, their their sort of misadventures throughout the year. It's kind of just about how terrible it would have been to have been another student at that magic school during that time. Uh, sort of a it, Rosencrantz
1: and Guildenstern
3: of... Yeah, of, uh... yeah. of, of the, the, the Potter universe, I suppose. <laughs> Excellent.
1: So how long have you been yeah.
3: working on this? Um, so I think, let's see, we've, it's been a fun little ride with this show, but uh, yeah, I think we did our first reading of it in uh, July of 2015 at the People's Improv Theater. Uh, and it was kind of just, you know, a rush and like throwing together things because we liked the idea and we wanted to beat anybody else to to doing it. We thought other people would enjoy it. Um, we kind of assembled the cast and it's actually pretty much the same cast who's still in the play. Uh, we then did a production of it. Uh, I worked on it for a little while. We did a lot of like working on it in the room. We did a production at the People's Improv Theater starting in December, uh, 2015 uh, the show was only supposed to run for five performances, which is crazy, and then uh, we kept extending. We ended up extending through August uh, at the pit throughout through 2016, but then we also got picked up by a producing company called Filted Windmills. Uh, we moved off-Broadway to the Electra Theater uh, last October, uh, and then this summer we moved to New World Stages, and the, the show's been kicking along, and it's been doing quite fun. <laughs>
1: Have you run into any uh, rights issues or complaints from people that are involved in, you know, that other product? <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, we have not. Um, we did, myself and uh, our director, Chris McCarthy parker and our two original producers on the show, uh Stephen Stout and Colin Wade, we all worked very hard, especially in the early stages of it, um, of making sure that we really didn't tackle anything that could be an issue. Um, and so coming up with our own creative language that, you know, technically in a way this story could take place anywhere, uh, if you, if you didn't really look at it too hard. Uh-huh. Um, and so there's like, yeah, we have our own unique language. We, we don't use any of the costumes or anything like that. So we, we, we did everything that we possibly could to make sure that we're in the clear. Um, and even when it comes to like our advertising and things like that, we're, we're very specific about like the
4: words we use and that it, that it fits the tone of the show as well. Um. But no, which is great. <laughs> would you look forward if J.K. were to uh, stroll in one night and, and see the show? Oh yeah,
3: oh please, I would, I would, I would love it because I think, uh, yeah, I would, I would just be very curious to just that would that would be, I would try to just watch her face the whole time. Because <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I legitimately think though, even because it's silly and we poke on it a lot, but the show also one of the things so unique that is that. Uh, it's got a lot of heart and like soul to it. And a lot of the messages from that particular series that carry through it. I, I liked, I kind of took those messages and they're still there, but they're just, they're tweaked a little bit. Um, and I, I think maybe she'd get a kick out of it. Can you talk I,
0: a little bit about the genesis of the show? How did you settle on the Hufflepuff kind of house? Uh,
3: yeah. Um, so that all came about, um, we had just been our little group of creative people that I just mentioned. Uh, we were working on for like a year. Uh, we did the other show that I the, did, which was called Kapawi Go-Go, which was a four-and-a-half-hour-long play,
5: okay.
3: Uh, okay. which is great for your first play. It was essentially like a mashup, like Saturday morning cartoon and sci-fi. It was kind of like, a, we called it like a nerd coast of utopia. Uh, um, but... <laughs> But it was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, coming off that, that one was still we had like a very loyal and like fun fan base to that show. But we were really looking into something that would be uh, something that was for the people's improv theater, which a lot of those things tend to be like pop culture based or something like that. Um, and we wanted to do something what we thought would be a little bit more accessible or get have like a bit more of like an audience that would be ready to come and see it built in. Um, And I was just sitting on a train one night uh, on my way home thinking about it. that was when the idea came into my head of doing a show that was just about the other students at the school, Um, just because it was like, yeah, wow, it would have been absolutely terrible. And it kept getting more. Every year got worse and worse and worse. And none of the other students really have the information. Um, And I was like, oh, that's a really funny idea. And then it was almost an immediate, I think within the same train ride, Uh, it was like, oh, well, it should focus on the the puff uh, just because... Especially, not as much lately, which has been great, but, like, pop culture has kind of deemed them as, like, the losers or the not-so-cool not kids. Uh, they're not-so-popular kids at the school, and that was something that I related to. Um, oh. So that way we can tell, you know, a, school, a story, though, about, uh, you know, growing up in school and not being the best kid there. Uh, and that, that seemed like the most interesting story to tell the
2: play "Harry Potter and the Cursed Child," which is a huge hit in London, it is coming to Broadway. Uh, I was surprised when I first heard that it's about the characters as adults, uh, mm-hmm. but but uh, but and which I guess you know logistically uh, solves some problems. But I'm assuming in <laughs> your show that you have adults playing adolescents, basically.
3: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone. Uh, we made a bunch of men shave their beards so they could play 11 year olds <laughs> for at least a short period of time
1: um, well Charlie and the Travel Factory mean, didn't make them change <laughs> so.
3: So.
4: Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: uh, I have a question uh, for you great. about uh, you know Hamilton is this big huge hit on Broadway and we have this parody Spamilton happening there and then we have the Harry Potter thing coming in next year and hopefully Puffs will be running at the same time uh, uh, are you, uh, it d- was this part of your plan or did it just happen to work out this way that Harry Potter is going to come at the same time?
3: This, uh, this just happened to work out. Um, cause when we started doing the shows, uh, that show did not exist. It hadn't been announced yet. Uh, um, yeah, huh. or anything like that. So we, we, we were, we were, we like to say that, uh, especially whenever that particularly plays here, not that we're related in any way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that we were the we were we'll, we'll be the longest uh, New York City's longest wizard running play. Uh longest running <laughs> wizard play at that point. And uh which we're very excited about. But, you know, yeah, this is kind of blacked out and we hope that, you know, we we'll hope that it'll bring in and people who'll be interested to who will be interested to see Puffs.
1: Are you going to uh try to do something at Broadway Con? Um I don't know if you know that the connection between Harry Potter and Broadway Con, but uh, Melissa, who founded Broadway Con, uh, got her start uh, as the webmaster of a Harry Potter fan site. And she, yeah. turned, she turned that whole thing into a b- business because she did uh, Harry Potter conferences and then started with Broadway Con because she was a big Rent fan. But uh, if you can beat the that other show... To uh this upcoming <laughs> year, you might be able to uh, uh, roll that into some good uh, some good publicity for yourself.
3: <laughs> um, I'm not sure. We were there last year. I know we had a table there. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I hope so. I would assume so. I think we had a good time there too. So.
4: All right. Now, in terms of writing this show, where did it come into the history of Potted Potter, the show that was at the Little Schubert uh, some years ago? Had it already happened? Uh, Were you starting writing and then you heard this other thing was happening? Were you scared by it? Uh, Did you know about it? Yeah.
3: Potted Potter, Potter, that one already existed fully uh, before I started working on this at all. And it was something I remember thinking about going and seeing it because I remember seeing the – Uh, The posters, like subway posters and all that, whenever I was, whenever it was playing here. Um, That one, though, it was like, it was we from the onset were very, we approached like the story very differently than we know they did. Because theirs is like, you know, uh, two men tell the whole story while we're looking at it from like another frame. We're taking the story and looking at it through new eyes. Um, So it's still, it makes it an incredibly different plot in any way. Uh, and we're more story focused than they are, which is a lot more like bit focused and humor focused, which is fun. But we were very careful um, about trying to make sure that we didn't like steal, like we didn't reuse any of the same bits. That was something we looked at a lot of like this sort of the fan created or the other, you know, the side stories that have existed or the other little adaptations. Um, we tried to make sure we looked at those and so we were unique at least that we weren't making the same jokes that everyone has already heard before especially with mm-hmm. that family. Sure. Yeah.
4: Sure. Mm-hmm.
1: So let's get some bio information on you. You went to Tarleton? Is that the correct yeah. name? Tarleton State University <laughs> that is in Texas. The correct <laughs> in Texas? Yeah, uh, um just, are you Texas, Texas native?
3: Yeah. I I am. I am. All the rest of my family is from Illinois, but I I was born in Texas and raised there.
1: And um and did you, uh, are your family, uh, fans of the arts, uh, working in the arts, things like that? How did you get into it?
3: Um, so, uh, it's a funny little story. I didn't really get into the, like, the theater or acting or anything like that until my senior year of high school, uh, at High School in Saxey, Texas. Uh, um, Friday but, Night uh, Lights. It, mm. No, exactly. No, I, I lived it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I went to go try out i was a, i was really into like the journalism department everything like that uh but I had made a bunch of friends in the theater area uh and they were doing auditions for this new like improv team that they were doing and my mom always told me I was very funny uh and she kind of convinced me I should do it even though i was very uh very shy person um and i ended up i they had auditions at the same time for you can't take it with you uh the play uh yeah. and I ended up accidentally auditioning for that and then i kind of was like oh I like this and so I started doing that and then I ended up going to Tarleton, which is a lovely, very small little school. Uh, about an hour out of Fort Worth, uh, most people have not heard of it, but it's 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 nice. <laughs> um, uh, and then I so I moved to New York City though as like just to be an actor. Uh, didn't really know. no one else in my family really has like has done anything like this. It was kind of just following. It, it was like oh I think I like this. I think it's fun. Uh, moved to New York City to uh, go to the Stella Adler Studio mm-hmm. of Acting. Um, or just like a little summer program and I was supposed to be like, ah, I'll see if I stay here. And then I did. Uh, and then I was a company member at the flea theater at Bat for a oh. couple years, mm-hmm. quite a while. Um, and that is where I met most of the people, a lot of people who are in puffs were also bat Um mm. but we also through that, there was a little program there that they had called Serials at the flea, which is like little 10 minute plays. And I started writing through those. Um, and then Go-Go was actually the third one of those I had written. Uh and that was after it was successful enough there that we adapted it into it. and then I became a writer all of a sudden. Uh <laughs> so that's sort of a, that's the quick buyout. up <laughs> it's, it's an interesting journey. And your
1: uh one of your other credits is the adult uh, mutant ninja turtles. So that's another <laughs> adaptation of uh of a popular uh culture television show. Uh uh, was that also part of uh, the the flea or one of your other uh, endeavors? Uh,
3: no, that was. No, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the program. It was like it was for like a late night uh, drinking game sort of mm. play, like a ten minute play. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: <laughs> and you, uh, upright citizens brigade, and uh, the story pirates. Um, Mm -hmm. so you are keeping yourself, uh, spread out among the, uh, among the theater community, uh, that (laughs) is, um, that is more associated with a a lot of fringe and a lot of, uh, off-Broadway. Have you participated in any fringe, uh, endeavors?
3: I have not. It's something I'm super interested in just because it's a lot of the, the spirit of what that is, uh, is very much how we like to make our work, which is, or I like to do a lot of things, which is kind of. Throwing things together in a way uh, and putting them up, putting them up quickly and maybe not for very long, and letting something exist for a short period of time—that uh, is how I tend to work. So eventually, I'm sure that'll happen. Uh, is there a new yeah, project gotta, that
0: you're you're working on right now?
3: Uh, yes, I'm actually. I have probably a few too many things. <laughs> um, oh, uh, yeah. I am doing a reading of a new play on Tuesday, September nineteenth. The so next Tuesday, uh, it's called Witches in Salem. Uh, which is a sort of comedy about uh, a real witch and wizard. And I swear I don't only write about witches and wizards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if I did, is that a problem? Um, But it's about a real witch and wizard who are in Salem, Massachusetts, during the time of the witch trials. And uh, uh, (laughs) they're confused because they don't quite understand what's going on. Um, And then I'm also working on, and we did a development of this at at the University of Florida uh, this past, uh, summer with our producers, uh, John Tinker and David Carpenter. Uh, but it's called The Magnificent Revengers and it is a western uh, revenge tragedy comedy that also is um, the audience makes choices uh, throughout through their smartphone or through something to um, sort of change the path that the play takes. Uh, so it's a very like, immersive uh, the play could be different every single performance is what we're working with. For it's like a 400-page script for like a two-hour show, uh, but that's going to be fun. That'll be coming eventually.
1: <laughs> uh, I, one last thing that I wanted to mention is that um, you have a very interesting lineup of producers for Puffs. Uh, mm-hmm. You seem to have landed uh, George Stephanopoulos of, mm. of the Clinton campaign and ABC News <laughs> as your as one of your producers there. Uh, I mean. <laughs> Were you involved in, in landing these things? Did you have to do um, – what, what was the – what was your work and involved to take um, it to no, New I've World actually, Stages?
3: Yeah, that was pretty much – I think that – it might be a different George Stephanopoulos. I mean, ah! Uh, <laughs> um, I, I haven't had a whole lot of uh, interactions with all of them. I've met them every once in a while. But, yeah, that was uh, John Pickery David Carpenter uh, – The funny way that we got off Broadway, I guess, is so it's kind of like a story of every person you meet could eventually come back to you in some way. But uh, when I was doing a restoration comedy at the police theater in 2012, uh, myself and Steven Stout, who was also in that show, we met John Pinkard, um, who hadn't even formed this company yet at the time uh and we just talked to him a few times just because he he came and saw that show a few times and then fast forward a little while later we invited him to come and speak to and he really liked it but that was also like here's a five-hour play what can you possibly do with it <laughs> but he was immediately interested in like what else we were going to do and so we had to like we had to talk with him and i mentioned the idea for pups existed at this point um and i mentioned that and he was kind of like immediately like okay i want you to, as soon as you do that you <laughs> tell me and so we invited him and he pretty much immediately uh was invested in, it and he, he wanted to grab it. He brought uh, his partner David Carpenter, uh, and since then they've been moving us forward and getting in all the people, uh, the producers, and things like that. Great, but, well, yeah, so uh, it kind of came about from people knew.
1: Well, uh, Puffs, or Seven Increasingly Eventful Years at a Certain School of Magic and Magic, is over at the New World Stages currently on 50th Street, West 50th Street. Uh, You can catch up with it at puffstheplay.com, and Matt Cox is the playwright of it. And you can catch it with Matt at uh, mattcoxland.com or on Twitter at MatthewTheCox. We'll have all of those things in the show notes as well, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on Broadway Radio and telling us about uh, what's going on.
3: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. All I ever knew is take oh, I Swear I swear it, I'm a good kid Guess I'm good for nothing at all The school's in six years Every battle, every day No one ever tells me that they're proud No one asks me, Percy, how would you like to come around and stay? We get a bad grades and a bum rap and a bad rap and a good smack and no friends and no hope and no bomb.
1: All right, we're in this uh, stage here at the beginning of the fall where not a lot of openings have happened yet, and we've seen a bunch of shows that we can't talk about because they haven't opened yet. So next week, expect a, expect a flood of uh, reviews, <laughs> but for right now, We've also been ignoring our cast recording uh, um, duties. So, Michael, catch us up on cast recordings. What's been happening? Well, there have been so
2: many, but some really great ones that I got. One is one of the most delightful musicals I've seen in a long time, The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical, a uh, book by Joe Trass, uh music and lyrics by Rob Rokicki. And this was off-Broadway. Uh, I saw it at the Lucille Lortel Theater. Uh, it's it was tremendously popular down there um, so much so they've already done um, an evening of uh, of songs uh, from the show uh, and they I, I keep hearing rumors of a of an extended um, life somewhere uh, I believe uh, extended commercial off Broadway production that would be really great but in the meantime we have uh, Broadway Records has released the cast album and it's really excellent. It's it's just so melodic and so much fun. It doesn't talk down uh, to the audience remotely, even though it's, uh, uh, you know, it's based on a young adult book. Um, and the cast is is just great. Chris McCarroll, Sarah Beth Pfeiffer, Jonathan Raviv, James Hayden Rodriguez, George Salazar, Kristen Stokes and Carrie Compeer. Um, so I think you really want to give that one a listen, even if you don't know anything about the source material, which is the case with me. I, I had never basically even heard of it. But it's about um, Percy Jackson, who is uh, half a god. Uh, his mother is mortal, but his father is the god Poseidon. And he finds this out, and then he kind of goes on a, a journey to, to uh, find out more about himself. So that's
1: a great Recording. And then we have the Michael, view. Let ups. me jump in for a second and just uh, let people know that Lightning Thief is going to tour. Uh, it's doing a national right. a national yeah, tour yeah. of Lightning Thief uh, around the country beginning in the fall of 2018. So we're about a year away from it, but they got a big national tour scheduled with uh, TheaterWorks USA. So it's really exciting. Oh, well,
2: maybe that's the one that will maybe yeah. wind up coming to New York for a commercial. Mm. off-Broadway production. That'll be something to really look forward
1: to. All right, sorry to interrupt you. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Oh, that's
2: okay. Uh then we have The View Upstairs, uh which I also saw off Broadway. Uh it's written book music and lyrics by Max Vernon, who was our uh guest on the pod, on our podcast uh right uh when that show was happening. And this is a really interesting musical uh set. Uh, It's about the Upstairs Lounge, which was a a very famous, vibrant 70s gay bar in the French Quarter of New Orleans. And uh, it really apparently was a a real gathering place for that community and a very special place until it was destroyed by a tragic fire that everyone believes was arson. Uh, The um, musical does not focus on the tragedy so much as it focuses on the people who hung out there before that happened. And it's really, uh, I, I had some problems with the book, but I really enjoy the score greatly. And I think that is, um, also definitely worth listening. And that's, uh, Broadway Records, also, and then um, from DRG we have uh, the aforementioned Spamilton, (laughs) which um, is has proved to be extremely successful. Uh, At first, it started um, uptown at the Triad, and now it is playing on the forty at the Forty Seventh Street Theater, which was uh, a home to Forbidden Broadway for several years, and that's only appropriate because the main creator here is Gerard Alessandrini, creator of Forbidden Broadway. But Spamilton is an incredibly clever, uh, very funny piece. Uh, I can't even imagine the work involved in crafting the lyrics <laughs> for this show. Um, I don't know if it's harder to... Uh, well, you know, well, I guess it's hard, <laughs> harder to, to write... Um, hamilton to begin with but it cannot be easy to write parody lyrics for a show like that where the the lyrics come so densely and all of those rhymes and and it's uh, i'm you know i I would certainly never want to attempt it but i uh, my hat is off to gerard for doing such an amazing job with that
1: all right. So we'll have links to all of those uh, cast recordings in the uh, show notes at com, And uh, you can see there, I think most of them will be able to uh, listen to various clips of them as well, see if maybe they can be on your uh, purchase list. Uh, next up, um, later this week, we have the Cheetah Rivera Awards coming up. So Michael, why don't you tell us about that? Oh,
2: yeah, they're happening, uh, well, Monday night, uh, the 11th, at the Al Hirschfeld Theater at 7.30. Um, and let's see. Presenters include Chris Noth, David Hyde Pierce, Carmen DeLavalade, Donna McKechnie, Bayork Lee, Priscilla Lopez, Nikki M. James, Tony Yazbeck, Karen Ziemba, Melissa Errico, Jerry Zachs, Marcia Milgram Dodge, Leroy Reams and Pam McKinnon, and... Um, Uh, evening will include a performance by robert fairchild and melanie moore dancing a duet from la la land which i really want to see that (laughs) um as well as performances from a bronx tale come from away uh and the new york city ballet is going to honor uh, cheetah with uh with a number and then uh there's several other uh pieces of entertainment that have been announced uh the i imagine that uh, tickets are probably still available for these awards uh because they're being held at the al hirschfeld theater uh which is a larger space uh, it this used to be the astaire awards and now the chita rivera awards uh and they uh, i think it's the first time in a broadway theater so i think that if you uh check it out you can probably find tickets still available for uh Monday, September eleventh, seven thirty at the Al Hirschfeld Theater.
1: Also, this week we uh, we just learned of the sad news of the passing away of Michael Friedman, uh, playwright, at forty one years old. Um, and uh, we talked to Michael Friedman on the podcast uh, about a year ago. Uh, we talked about Bloody, Bloody, Bloody Andrew Jackson and some of his other works and things like that. Uh, this was quite a shock uh, to many people uh, finding out on Saturday. Um, uh, do you guys have any words to say about Michael Friedman, Peter or Michael?
4: Or- I never met him. I never met him, but I think he did a good job uh, with the music he composed for Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson.
2: Yeah, I never met him either. I think that show, um, it's hard to tell why shows don't connect sometimes. It was, uh, it seemed to work really well off Broadway at the public and then just for whatever reasons, didn't connect with the Broadway audience. But, um... I hope it continues to have a life elsewhere.
1: Um, we talked to him. I guess I'm looking it up here um, about the Fortress of Solitude cast recording. It was uh, when was this uh, June of 2015, so a little bit about two years ago, or so. It wasn't last year. Uh, I will put a link to that in the show notes if uh, if you'd like to go back and listen to our interview with him on that show and uh it it's just a, uh, he was an artist in residence down at the public theater and uh it's just amazing on on social media to, to see how many different people and other playwrights that he has touched and worked with and things like this and uh just gone way too soon yes uh other news that came up this week is that um we had the announcement of uh Betsy Wolf, Alexander Giamignani joining the uh revival of Carousel. Um which you know they are fleshing out this cast to be a big blockbuster. It seems like they're going to see if they can if they can run this thing uh beyond the <laughs> typical beyond the typical run of of Carousel revival. Um we have it's going to begin per, previews on February twenty eighth in two thousand eighteen, uh, and opens on April twelfth. So it's it's gearing up. I, I would say that when you have previews in an opening like that, it's because you're trying to angle for big awards. So what do you guys think about that?
4: Well, of course that's true, but um, one of the other things that happened this week with the show was that it released its artwork, and uh, a number of people were saying they didn't much like it. Mm -hmm. However, what I think was really clever about it is that it really does replicate a poster that is pasted on a wall, because if you look closely at the artwork, you will see that there are purpose creases in the poster so it does look as if it was hastily put up on a wall the other thing is of (laughs) course that um when um natasha closed and it was announced that carousel was coming in but not until the spring my first thought was oh i hate to see the imperial looking empty all that time however it's not going to appear that way because of course all it took was a minute or two to put it um the logo up on the marquee because the Imperial is one of those theaters that now has an electronic marquee. Mm. A lot of people have issues with these marquees partially because of course it's a change. And, uh, many of us, um, react badly of any change that comes because it's not traditional. However, this does show what an asset it is to have an electronic marquee that you can immediately have it put up, and we don't have that uh, embarrassing black that's painted. Or years ago, many people may remember that the Schubert Theaters, when a show closed, used to put up a sign saying see a Broadway show just for the fun of it. (laughs) Um, And, um, of course, I was always thinking at the time, um, yeah, why don't you lower the prices just for the fun of it (laughs) little did i know the prices then were quite reasonable compared to what they are now but that's another story (laughs) but anyway so it's really nice that um that the carousel logo was already up there that we didn't have to wait for uh plastics to be made and inserted uh, because it would have looked embarrassing for such a great theater is the Imperial, it's bad enough that there's that empty parking lot, um, well, not even a parking lot, that empty space that used to be a mm-hmm. parking garage there, you know, uh, which which is sort of like when you look at somebody who has a front tooth missing, that's the way 45th Street looks now because of that. So uh, I'm very glad that at least the carousel uh, artwork is on the marquee, and um, you know, the other thing about these marquees, it does certainly fall into the traditional category of Broadway uh, having a person's name in lights. Well, you know, there it is, you know, they're in lights. Well, and I remember when I was a kid and I first came to Broadway, I was astonished that there weren't names in lights in most of the theaters. Yeah. That wonderful roof sign of what was then the Martin Beck, now the Al Hirschfeld. Yeah. That sometimes had it. And there were a few other roof signs too. So, but, uh, so this does ascribe to that old tradition of name in lights. So, um, I like the new marquee.
2: What I find interesting about Carousel, uh, what I, I've read so far, is that, of course, one of the major points of interest is that uh, it's going to be colorblind cast, if that's the correct term, uh, with Joshua Henry as Billy Bigelow. But it seems like what people are focusing on now in discussing the show before it's here, obviously, is the more the issue of how wife abuse is treated in the piece. And there seems to be endless points of view as to whether or not the show um, excuses or condones or condemns uh, wife abuse. And people have all sorts of opinions on that. And I think it, it almost comes down to one line in the show where at the end, uh, mm. where Louise, uh, well, Billy Bigelow comes back uh, from heaven in the form of a spirit. And he meets his daughter for the first time. She's now a young woman and he becomes frustrated with her and he slaps her at one point. And, uh, Louise turns to her mother and says, is it possible for someone, uh, to slap you and have it not hurt at all? Uh, and it, because she said, Louise tells her mother that the slap actually felt like a kiss. And Julie's response is, yes, it is possible, dear. And then there's, Many different ways to interpret that line, but uh, that is the crux of the argument that, that people are getting into. So it will be interesting to see how that is perceived by people nowadays with, with our current, um, you know, with what we now know and, and our current attitudes towards uh, things of that sort, as opposed to maybe in the, in the 1940s when it wasn't discussed as much. So I'm... Uh,
4: or even, unfortunately, expected, uh, which that famous line in Fiorello does reiterate, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if he strikes me, what does it matter if he likes me? Um, so uh, I'm afraid it was just considered part of marriage once upon a time. Thank God those days are over. But more to the point, um, I remember having this discussion with Scott Miller, the wonderful artistic director of New Line Theater in St. Louis, mm. when he talked about the fact that um, Roger and Hammerstein don't have anything to say anymore to today's audiences and uh, at the time I wish I had thought to say well you know there's still spousal abuse going on and I did some research while you were talking Michael and I found that last year there were 1.3 million women uh, who reported that they were um, victimized by their husbands. And um, who knows how many didn't want to bring it up. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was twice as many. So it's still an issue. And yes, it may be a problem. And, you know, considering the fact that Rogers and Hammerstein organization has been sold um, to various people over the years, I wonder if the new management says, no, um, it's time to take those lines out. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, frankly.
2: Mm. Yeah, I I was just going to say to me it's literally only that one line it's only julie's response which can be interpreted in in different ways if if louise asks the question is it possible for someone to hit you like that and have it not hurt at all and i think if if julie just said you know just kind of hugged her and said go into the house dear um that might be okay because arguably uh, as i said nowhere else in, in the in the show is there anything remotely like condoning wife abuse several people mention it and how how awful it is and when billy himself talks about it we can see he's deeply ashamed of it, um, it you know it's it's actually very different from that line you quoted from uh, that lyric you quoted from Fiorello which is supposed to be a joke and uh, what's that famous line uh, it's private lives, isn't it w- women should oh, yes. s- women should be struck regularly like, gongs. like a
4: gong. yeah mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know I mean it's a joke, but uh, I, I just think that's the kind of thing that that we don't joke about anymore so so joking about it to me is far worse than the way it's dealt with in carousel
1: what if we um took it the whole other direction and mm. in the in the later scenes of carousel when it's evident that julie and billy are fighting that she comes you know she arrives on stage with a visible sign of abuse maybe she's got a black eye maybe she is her dress is ripped or something like that uh, and focuses more on you know we can't really change the substance of the story as it mm. is more or less, the script is frozen, but um, shining a light on these type of issues might be a, a way in which to make another statement about domestic abuse. but we'll see what they come up with with uh, this revival of this revival of uh, carousel that's uh, coming up uh,
2: just one of the greatest musicals ever.
4: And, in fact, Richard Rodgers' favorite of all the ones he had written, and um, he wrote quite a few. People um, tend to think that he wrote nine because that's how many he wrote with Hammerstein that appeared on Broadway during their lifetimes. But, uh, indeed, don't forget that big career with Rodgers and Hart long before that. Um, That said, you know, we also have to remember that this was an adaptation of a 1909 play um, by a Hungarian, Ferenc Molnar. And um, the ending in Lilium mm. is substantially more dure than the one in Carousel. And in fact, Roger and Hammerstein were very nervous when Molnar came to see, uh, I think, a dress rehearsal or a late rehearsal or something like that. And uh, they were petrified that he was going to um, storm up the aisle and say, you ruined my piece. And instead, he said he liked the ending better. So um, if Carousel does seem to us problematic today, Believe me, uh, Lilium uh, would seem that much more problematic, and uh, we have to at least applaud Roger and Hammerstein for softening as much as they did. Um, so at least that.
1: All right. Uh, elsewhere in the news, I have to ask the three of you, um, in in the last uh, nine months to a year or so that we've been barraged with this marketing, did we ever think it was possible that Hello, Dolly! <laughs> could ever exist without Bet? <laughs> Because there was an announcement this week uh, We have new stars coming into Hello Dolly With uh, Bernadette Peters and Victor Garber So uh, uh, I, I guess the main question that I had was Will they invite us again? (laughs) Because <laughs> uh, I want to see it. <laughs> well, they
2: are. Um, they uh, as soon as the press releases came out, it, it did immediately specify that there will be a new official opening. Mm-hmm. So that would uh, would in- you know. indicate to me a, a new press opening. Uh, so perhaps the answer is yes.
0: <laughs> well, they're going to have to really redo their marketing campaign because the old marketing campaign was Bette Midler hello Dolly what more yeah. do you need to know so they're really going to have to uh to, to readdress it I don't know do you guys think it it will continue to run I know that Bernadette has a big following um among Broadway fans but you know she's no nope but Midler
2: well I think uh, you know I sort of envisioned from the beginning that they might do basically what the original production did and if that they might keep it running with uh fairly short stints by various stars uh the, the the issue being there are not that many people obviously who are who are right for it or up for it and
4: uh <laughs> you you it know It could be effectively argued that during the original run, there were one or two people who weren't right for it either. That's another (laughs) story. What is uh, interesting to me in terms of this is that Bernadette Peters said, "Um, by the way, I'll do eight a week. I don't have to do seven. So um, I will tell people that I think you should get over there on a Tuesday night and see Donna Murphy because she really is sensational in the role. And I wouldn't miss this chance to uh, To see her, and now we know that uh, her days are uh, even mm-hmm. more numbered than Bette Midler because you, uh, not the tickets are available, but uh, but do go see Donna Murphy. Um, I think yes. it's a good idea to do it, and um, and <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to Brenda Peters. She seems very right in the role to me, and um, I'm delighted Victor Garber is going to be in it too. I think that's uh, great fun. So, um, and we did hear that Kate Baldwin is uh, staying on. So is Gavin Creel. So, um, and Charlie Stemp, who was recently in half a sixpence in London and pleased a lot of people over there will be taking over as Barnaby Tucker. So, um, audiences will get a chance to see him if they missed him in half a sixpence over there, which was a, a, a much acclaimed performance. Hmm
2: yeah you know chemistry of course is is hard to, very hard to predict but i just can envision bernadette and victor garber having great chemistry in those roles so i hope that turns out to be the case mm-hmm.
1: uh, and when uh, i really enjoyed the production when i saw it and and while i do really think that bet was great uh they just the ensemble of this production is uh, – I, I had mentioned during my discussion of it that it, go see it for the ensemble alone. Oh, and the it, sets and
2: costumes it's just ama- and the orchestration.
1: It just, it's just really great. I hope they get a chance to keep running this so that lots of people get to see this this classic show. Yes.
4: By the way, on Facebook yesterday, I have to I have to say this. I was very surprised. <clears throat> um, I don't know if, uh, if everybody can get this and how it works with friends and all that kind of stuff. Um, but on Facebook yesterday, there was a gentleman who was actually playing the piano and singing the song that Charles Strauss and Lee Adams wrote. Before the parade passes by, you may have heard the story that uh, when the show was in trouble, David Merrick lost faith in Jerry Herman and asked Strauss and Adams, as well as Bob Merrill, to come see the show and write something for it. As the story has always gone, Strauss and Adams wrote, Before the Parade Passes By... Jerry Herman didn't like what they had written, but loved the title and wrote his own song. And I will say at at first hearing that, um, I think Jerry Herman uh, did do a better job than Strauss and Adams did with, with their song, which was really, um, much more um tempo and happy go lucky in a sense Hmm. than the contemplative version that Jerry Herman gave. So, um, Try to see if you can find that on Facebook, um, and again, it may be taken down by now for one reason or another, but it was there yesterday.
2: Wow, I wish I had seen that i 'm going to have to look for it
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Something that we 're going to have less and less a chance to see is uh, dolls House cartoon has uh, scheduled a uh, an earlier closing date than what was previ- previously announced. Uh, so, if you have been on the fence or not gotten around to seeing a doll's house part two, uh, you want to get to it as soon as possible as it is going to close this month.
2: Uh, I thoroughly
4: okay. agree, and I'm very sorry that this is happening, and I'm I'm, I'm very sorry I'm not going to get a chance to see Julie White do it, because I would think she'd be very good in the role. Uh, so, But, you know, that's one of the problems. When you have a, a household name, as Laurie Metcalf was, certainly from Roseanne alone, uh, it's it's hard, especially after the Tony is won, you know, because people really – that gives another incentive just to see the show for the Tony winner, and now you don't get that chance. But it's too bad, because this is really quite a good play
2: and also yeah i was going to say i do think it's sad um one of the not great things about broadway nowadays is that it really does seem that a play cannot have an extended run unless it has a, a big star that stays in it <laughs> um with a with maybe the you know, the rare exception um i you know even a play as good as this one there there should be room There, of course, should be room for a play of that quality to have a run of two years or more. So, you know, I mean, I think we all know the reasons for that, which are very complicated. So we're not going to enumerate them here. But uh, but it it really is a wonderful, wonderful
3: play.
1: Um, Other casting news was uh, Philippa Su uh, joins The Parisian Woman. So uh, that, that cast is starting to fill out as well as uh, <laughs> lots of jokes went around about this, about Alison Pill uh, joining Three Tall Women. Uh, and Alison Pill, I think, is probably 5'4". So, <laughs> 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 so uh, we'll see how they address that. Maybe they'll have Still, an uh, album box. What a cast! What, what a, a cast! cast. Absolutely. What a cast. And uh, and then something very exciting for those of us who did not get on a plane and go to London, the uh, NT Theatre's Follies is going to come to the uh, cinemas this fall. Uh, so we'll be able to see that production, uh, at least on the screen. Uh, and Mean Girls has confirmed a Broadway date for this spring. So um, as we imagined, um, the the... Production down in washington d c sort of an out of town tryout, and they were able to lock in a theater and they 're uh, coming in and
4: then yes, uh, but notice the difference notice the difference of uh, from the old days when um, the out of town tryout was followed by uh, a preview or two And then they opened In New York Notice that uh, It closes Mean Girls closes At, at the National Theatre In Washington In December And then what happens For the next three months They didn't announce Anything in terms Of another tryout So this I think this has to do With Wicked Because that's what Wicked did Wicked closed down For a long time Before it opened On uh, Broadway After its tryout In San Francisco So um, I think really now uh, We may be entering An era where we see Shows try out And then close down And say okay Let's really spend the time to do the work Mm. as opposed to the trial by fire. Um, aspect that used to happen with tryouts, that you had to do it during the out of town tryout and that was it because you were going to open very soon um i'm not sure this is a good thing um necessarily of course wicked would argue that it is because it's certainly successful but um that old expression work takes as long as the time you have to do it does come into play as well so um it was pretty miraculous what uh, the writers of yore used to do um and the songs they came up with uh during the, those um frantic times out of town there were a lot of great songs written be it i'm still here or sing happy from florida red menace um one of the thrills of my growing up in boston was seeing the out-of-town tryouts and then when the albums came out saying oh look there are new songs that i didn't hear um <clears throat> sadie sadie from funny girl uh, it, is another example that certainly wasn't in the Boston tryout, and um, Honest Man and Bajour uh, wasn't in the Boston tryout. Uh, oh, I got a million of them. So anyway, um, uh, we'll see if there's a – it'll be fun to uh, go down to Washington and see Mean Girls and then see it on Broadway and see if the changes were profound or if they didn't need them at all. Um, uh, uh, not every show is Kiss Me Kate, of course, which, as Peter Stone used to like to say, didn't change a comma uh, from its out of town tryout when it came to New York. But uh we'll we'll see if this uh time off uh does a lot of good for mean girls.
1: One of the comments that you hear very often from um uh longtime producers is there is no out of town anymore and you can't you're under the spotlight wherever you are. And right. this seems to be the truth as people are heading to D C and also out to Denver, to the Denver Center for the Performing Arts to see Frozen. Uh, and we'll have to see if, uh, you know, what the, if Frozen makes some dramatic changes before coming to Broadway or if they understand that it's going to be just, um, you know, basically an out, out of town opening and then New York is just the next opening, um, uh, Two final things that we'll talk about here just briefly is that Aaron Sorkin's adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird is coming to Broadway in 2018. Um, and we'll have to see what happens with that. I know that Sorkin's got a million projects always in the hopper, as well as uh, uh a few good men. Uh, the next uh, mounting of right. a few good men is also kicking around, yeah. and um. And Angels in America seems to be coming to Broadway um, since it, it, its original production. Uh, first time back on Broadway with the a London production with Nathan Lane. So, uh,
4: By the way, people have been asking me left and right, um, does this mean they're only doing the first play or are they doing both plays? And the answer is they're doing both plays. Both, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it wasn't it, it terribly clear. Well, in the press release, in terms of what the schedule is going to be, or anything like that, and mm-hmm. and they're also not really specifying part one and part two, at least in the in the initial release, you mm-hmm. know. But yes, is is the answer to the question.
1: All right, so before we get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to iTunes for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us in many ways. One of the ways is the iHeartRadio app, Google Play, um, and TuneIn also plays us. You can listen to us on the Stitcher app, which is an application for your iPhone, your BlackBerry or your Android device, um, and uh, leave us a review on uh, iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts uh, to make sure that other people find out about us. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia question?
4: Yeah, what I asked was, what musical nominated for Seven Tonys... A musical you could have seen in New York this past Saturday night mentions eight presidents in its songs. The first, third, seventh, 16th, first, 33rd, and 34th. Okay. And the answer is Jamaica, which, in case you don't know, is being done at Harlem Rep., in rep that's why i said saturday night not the whole week or the whole month or anything Mm -hmm. like that so they're uh, scattering performances i think until the end of the year and you might want to go see it i will say that i have seen it and i did feel that when i went it was just a little too early they weren't up to it yet um but i have a feeling if you go now they're going to be terrific and i I hope they are um jamaica by the way is the Lena horn ricardo montabon musical from 1957 and um the song Yankee Dollar mentions Washington, Jefferson, Jackson, and Lincoln. Napoleon mentions Coolidge and Hoover. And Push the Button mentions Truman and Ike, which, of course, was the nickname for Eisenhower. <laughs> Only two people got it, and that was Deb Popple. She was the first, followed by David Kincannon. So that was last week's question. This week's question, what performer who appeared regularly on the TV show Green Acres also appeared in the film version of 1776.
1: Hmm. All right. So if you know that, uh, email us at TriviaBroadwayRadio.com. We'll let you know if you are on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier, Jan Simpson, and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 With the rest of the girls That's why the lady
5: is a tramp She likes the free Fresh wind in her hair Life without care She's broke, it's oak Hates California It's cold and it's dead. That's why the lady is a trend. She goes to Coney, the beach is divine. Yeah, she goes to ball games, the bleachers are fine. She follows Winchell and reads every line. That's why the lady is a tramp. She likes the green grass under her shoes. What can she lose? She's flat, that's that. She's all alone when she lowers her land. That's why the lady, that's why the